and let us ask the Spirit to prick our conscience on where we need to use this to act and to not be idle because the the letter to the Galatians, it was assumed that it would produce movement in the church. And the Bible is full of areas that we can grow in and, and levels of holiness that we can continue to strive for. So my prayer for this church and my own life is that when those situations come up, and I had one recently come up where the Lord brings something to your attention, and you can either act or not act, that the Lord gives us the, the wisdom and the maturity to act. Good afternoon, everybody. It seems very formal to say it like that, but like, there's like 19 people here. <laughs> so. I think for Christmas, I'm going to ask for one of those Bibles with like the indented tabs on it. The, ch- the cheater Bibles, should people call them. I have my iPad back. I like the iPad. It's been very helpful. But I'm going to try and read the entire book of Galatians, and I've only been reading it out of my Bible, so I don't know which one I'm going to use. So. This was something I was going to try and get set up while I was sitting there during worship, but Kenzie got a call at work. So Thank you for your patience during my technical difficulties. Okay. All right, let's pray. Great and mighty God, Lord, thank you for preserving your word for us, for giving us wisdom to know you. Lord, it's not wisdom that we've manifested or that we can boast in, Lord. You've given us faith, you've given us grace, and you've given us wisdom to understand you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be in this church today, that you would pour wisdom out on us, that you would give me wisdom in preaching your word. Or that we would leave with a higher view of you, with a greater view of your holiness and your mighty and your love for your church. Lord, please bless this and keep me from error. And, and uh, Lord, I just thank you for, for your word. Amen. Okay, so I sent in the chat this morning. I had mentioned it last time, so I never thought to send it, send it in the chat. So I felt kind of foolish for sending it this morning so late. But we're going to, our text today is the entire book of Galatians. So um, when I first uh, picked Galatians as like the book I wanted to go through, I had a plan. I was like, okay, I'm going I'm to go through the Galatians. But I didn't want the, the time between messages to like remove too much continuity. So I kind of wanted to go through it at a quick pace of like one chapter per message. So my goal was like six messages on Galatians with a seventh being like the final overview. And I almost did it. I did eight. This is our eighth message in Galatians. One of the chapters I had to cut in half because it was too big. Um, But even with keeping a pretty quick pace, I started Galatians six months ago. (laughs) Because uh, when I started Galatians, we were still getting teachers from San Antonio that were mixed in. We were getting Pat Horn. We got Mark from Corpus. So we weren't on this three-week schedule with Chris Kenzie and myself. So I, 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 it was September 18th is when I actually started Galatians. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I don't actually remember much, if anything, of what Chris and Kenzie has said six months ago. So I don't fault anybody if they don't remember like the first or second or third, you know, anything from the first or second or third message that was on Galatians. Um, 
because it was so long ago. But even with knowing that some of that continuity may have been lost because of time, I don't really feel the need to start the Galatians, you know, our, our, our time in Galatians, with any refreshers from those moments. I'm praying the Lord will bring things back to mind. But if anything, I feel like it would be more profitable to spend the time before we read the text to try and put ourselves into the minds of the two big actors or two big characters in the book of Galatians. The first being Paul the Apostle. He's the one writing the book. And then the second one being the Galatian church. They're the one receiving the book. So not, not exactly two actors, but kind of two audiences. There's Paul who's sending this letter to the Galatian church and the Galatian church who's going to be reading it. And I don't, I don't want to stray away from, I mean, Chris talked about solar scriptura. Um, I'm convinced the Bible is all we need for teaching and, and correcting and, and living godly lives. I don't think it's adding anything to the Bible to take a moment and try and put yourself in the mind of the author or in the mind of the recipient when the Bible gives you that information. It, it helps you kind of pull out, okay, what's the motivation for you know, the letter to the Galatians? What's the motivation for the letter to Timothy? What, where was Timothy at when Paul sent this? And, and if the Bible gives any clarity, it's good to kind of meditate on those before reading through it because you want to receive... The, the, the letter, you want to really try and dive into the letter with as much context as possible because this is the message that was given to them. It was given to them for a reason. And there's, you know, been thousands of years of church history of application to us in modern times. But when we read a text, we do want to try and put ourselves in the mind of who wrote it, why, and, and, uh, and, and kind of start from there. So I figured today would be a good time to do that because we're going to try and read through the entire book of Galatians. Um, but before I do that, I did need to make a disclosure, a disclaimer. I talked to Chris and Kenzie and Raymond about it last, and Anthony about it last night. When I was going through Galatians chapter 3, I don't know if how many of you remember that, I made a comment that the Galatian, that, that in Acts when it talks about the church of Antioch, I made a comment that, oh, yeah, that, that was in Galatia. The Antioch is in Galatia. And, and it says that Paul spent, I think it says Paul spent a year in Antioch. And I was like, oh, that, that might have been the time that he was here, you know, in the Galatians letter. It says he spent time with them. And in reviewing for this message and going through the old sermons and kind of piecing things together, I realized I was in error. I was wrong. Um, Antioch is in Syria, and Galatians is more like modern-day Turkey. And there is a... Um, there is a town in Galatia called Antioch in Pisidia, but that is not the same Antioch that's mentioned in Acts. Antioch in Pisidia is actually mentioned in Acts, so there's two separate Antiochs. So I say that first and foremost to say I am sorry. I do admit that that was an error. I don't believe I hung any particular point or, or doctrine off of that fact, but it was, it was wrong. And the second thing I say is you as a church... You know, we are a small church, and, and, and we are uh, wanting, I know for myself, Chris, Kenzie, we are wanting, if we are in error or perceived error, you know, pull us aside, grab your Bible, you know, lovingly, as a brother, you know, um, but, you know, like, hey, you said this about so-and-so, I didn't see that, it says it this here, like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, like these, we want to keep short accounts with each other. And, and being an error like this is not something we want to take lightly. I don't take it lightly. So I wanted to, before I start into Galatians, kind of confess that, that error and, uh, 
and let you guys know that I, I caught it, but I, I, I also don't think of it lightly. Um, so for today, starting off with the mind of Paul as he's preparing this letter to the Galatians. And it might be helpful to kind of ask the, like, the who, what, where, when, why questions of like what, what, what Paul's framework is as he's preparing to write this letter, what, what's causing Paul to write this letter. Um, so we'll, we'll start off with the easy one, which is the who. So who is Paul writing the letter to? Well, Paul's writing the letter to, it says, the churches in Galatia. Um, but more than that, Paul is writing the letter to specific people that are at the churches in Galatia. Um, I would guarantee that there are names and faces in Paul's mind as he's writing over this letter. This isn't like a generic letter just meant for whoever happened to read it. These letters are full of like personal heartache and appeals that Paul is making. Um, one of them is in Galatians four twelve through 15. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong, for you know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Um, this is something that really happened, and and there's a person or a people group in his mind as he's writing this that he cares about. Um, Paul goes on to tell them, like, you were running well. So he's either seen it firsthand in, in seeing the church grow and seeing the, the church run well, or heard it from accounts of others that these are genuine Christians and they're growing in the faith and they're, and they're serving and they're doing stuff. He even mentions miracles being done in, in their presence. And um, this, is, this is who Paul is reaching to, this, this church that he loves, that loved him, and is growing in the faith, real brothers and sisters in Christ that are now struggling with something very serious. Um, so for our, our what question, um, what is Paul's motive in writing the letter? Like, what is it he's desiring that this letter will do? What's the production he wants to see out of this letter? Um, you know, if you have kids or if you've ever been like a supervisor or a manager, this is really easy to understand. You've heard of something that's not going okay, so you're sending a letter. You're sending a, a, a instruction, correction to get things fixed. You know, if, if you've got kids or you see the kids play, you know, it's something as simple as, you know, so-and-so took my ball. So go tell so-and-so to give the ball back. You've, you've sent information out in hopes that it produces a change in behavior, a change in the situation. Uh, at my work, everything's all automated on emails. So a system goes down, my boss gets an email, and he'll forward me that email. Go, go take care of that. And it's like, something's not okay. I want it to be taken care of and want it to be okay. And that's, that's the oversimplification of what, of what Galatians is. Paul has heard either firsthand by somebody that's a part of the church reaching out to him, secondhand by somebody that's visiting that knows him, that sent him a letter. Somehow Paul has gotten the information that false doctrine has come into the Galatian church. And the response is sending a letter to get that corrected. I want this to, to be fixed. Paul even says, I expect that you'll take no other view at the end of Galatians. As in, I'm sending you this correction, and it's my assumption that this will be what solves it. Um, and, and Paul is not just unemotional. Like, this isn't just like, a, oh, problem, let's get it solved. I mean, this is Paul who's heard 
Paul, you, you know the Judaizers? Yeah, I know the Judaizers. The, the, the circumcision party? Oh, yeah, I know the circumcision party. We've, we've, we've gone toe-to-toe with the circumcision party. I've seen other brothers fall. Those guys, they, they, they really wreak havoc. Yeah, they, they're in Galatia. What? They're, they're at the Galatian church. Like, this wrecks Paul, okay? He knows. I, I, I got to tell them. I got to warn them. I got to let them know. You know, like, look, these guys, they're bringing a false gospel. They're doing it so they don't get persecuted. Like, these guys are trying to avoid persecution. They're not, they're not actually there for your benefit. These guys don't mess around. They're, I know how persuasive their arguments are. Paul, Peter fell. Peter, Peter acted hypocritically because of these guys. Even my right-hand man Barnabas, I need to let the Galatians know these people are not people to mess around with. This is not something to entertain. He heard that false doctrine had entered the Galatian church, and instead of being sent the same door it came in, it was being entertained. And he sprang into action and sent a letter. As far as the where, we kind of mentioned Galatians is in Turkey, um, specifically like the middle part. Um, the notable towns in Galatia, as we mentioned, Antioch of Persidia, uh, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Deborah, and Derby. Something notable about Lystra, uh, as Chris mentioned two weeks ago, or yeah, two weeks ago, that Paul was stoned and left and uh, presumed dead in Lystria. And, and that's that kind of that first missionary journey that he was leading us through. That's that area. That's where we're at. When, Chris shared with me a resource, ESV.com, that gives you kind of like a timeline of the different books of the Bible. And it puts uh, Galatians at around 48 AD, which is before the destruction of the temple in Rome. It's, uh, you know, as, as Galatians frame was it at least, you know, 17 to 20 years into Paul's ministry. Um, so that's, that's our when. And lastly, like the why. Why is Paul writing the letter to the Galatians? And we've kind of touched on that a little bit, but he explains it, I think, really well in chapter 19 of verse 4 in Galatians. He says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is language of a deep intimate love and longing to see these people succeed this isn't just like checking a box or ticking something you don't use these words flippantly you don't use these words flippantly and the lord preserve them throughout the centuries of christianity and and church history so that we get to read them in 2022 this is a as much as a man can grieve and long over a people group that's not christ himself this is the type of language that would be used Paul's writing this letter to a church that he loves, people that he loves, and he's hearing they're being taught a false gospel. They're in danger of abandoning the true gospel that he brought them, that he preached to them, that he mentions, I kept my gospel pure as, 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 a, as a way to reserve it for you so that nobody would, would uh, come against him. And he's hearing that the Spirit has been walking among them. Miracles are happening. People are growing. Things are going the way that you would want to see a church grow. And now this false gospel has slipped in, and it is absolutely destroying Paul. He wants to see Christ fulfilled in the lives of this Galatian church. And now he knows that they have an enemy in the camp. So that's our writer of the letter. That's Paul. That's What's causing him to put pen to paper, to use such intense language, to just, I I mean, I imagine the first few drafts had tears on the parchment, because this is not an unemotional letter. So we'll peek over the fence 
to the Galatian side, the Galatian church. The who and where of the Galatian church is pretty, we've already explained, the Galatian church spread out through a few different towns. And it does say churches in the beginning of of Paul's letter. So he is addressing this to multiple different churches. If you've been paying attention to Chris's study in Acts, kind of like I mentioned, you know, that's, that's that first missionary journey. And you can say that first missionary journey either went really good or really bad. I mean, really good in the sense that a lot of Gentiles believed the gospel and were saved. Really bad in the sense that he died. Ultimately good, he was raised from the dead, and we would all give, I'm assuming, give our lives to see people come to Christ. That, that's the, that's the, the heart behind it. Um, but yeah, like this, this, this I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to word it this way because it sounds overly dramatic, but it's not. Paul died for these people. <laughs> like, you know, he put it all on the line. The Lord raised him back up, or he wasn't completely dead. I guess there's a little eh, debate on that one. But either way, you know, I would not want me to throw a rock at me, much less 40 guys like me to throw a rock at me, much less be stoned so hard that they couldn't tell if I was alive or dead or not. So Paul laid it all on the line for these people. That's who we're, that's who we're dealing with. So the what for this, this church is, what's their big struggle? What's, what's the big not okay thing that they're dealing with? And that is, they have allowed a different gospel to be preached among them. They've heard the true gospel, and now a separate, secondary, not similar gospel has showed up, and they've allowed it. Um, Galatians 1.9, as Paul's kind of entering his le- this letter, he says, and... He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is making it clear. I've heard this gospel is being preached, and this isn't something to be tolerated. Let him be accursed, which is cut off. Like, no, no humoring this. And a point of clarification. Somebody coming into a church and preaching a false gospel does not cause the elect to lose their salvation. But it does kill the church. And that's why they need to be corrected. That's the kind of like the what that they're dealing with. Why are they in such danger? Like, why is this such a big deal? Other than, you know, false doctrine will kill a church. The reason the church dies isn't because false doctrine comes in. The reason the church dies is because the Holy Spirit goes out. The Spirit of God will remove his presence from a church that does not preserve and maintain the true gospel. They were running well, so well that miracles were being done among them. Paul says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? saying, this thing that has been happening among you, these miracles happening, great, that's awesome. Was that because of works of the law, or was that when you heard the word by faith? Which one of those things brought the Spirit in and had him work among you? And when you hear that miracles are being done among a church, you know that's a church that's doing well. The Spirit doesn't show up when people aren't running the race well. Men, we are warned in Scripture, like specifically, that if we are not loving our wives properly, our prayers will be hindered. First Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Grieving or offending the Holy Spirit is a way for Him to not show up. So, if you want, this is one you can actually follow through. I'll try and read it ahead. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Talking about it's the Spirit that moves and does these things. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that, that gives the power that we see in this book that makes us go, wow, that's the Holy Spirit moving. He moves in the life of the Christian, and he was at work in the life of Christ and his ministry. But look what it says in Mark 6, 1 through 6, when Christ comes to Nineveh and he tries to preach, and, he, and, he, and he's going to present the gospel to the, to the people of, not Nineveh, Nazareth. It says, then he went from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is, is this with, is this which is given to him that so mighty works are being performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son of Mary? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled at their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching Christ himself because of the unbelief and the offense. This wasn't, this wasn't they marveled at him. This is the carpenter's son. Look what he said. This, this was indignation. This was like, we, we know him. Isn't, he's claiming to be the side. Isn't, isn't his mom over there? Haven't we met his brothers and sisters? Where is he getting this kind of power from? And they were so offended at the gospel that Christ was bringing. They were so offended that this common man would say things like, I'm the son of God, and try and do miracles among them, that they quenched the spirit and he refused to do works there. He refused to show up. And that's the danger. That's the why this Galatian church is in such danger. Because not being loving or patient with your wife grieves the spirit. The anger and indignation of the Nazarene of the, the Nazarenes felt when they heard the words of Jesus will grieve the Holy Spirit. And a church that is allowing a false gospel to be preached in their midst should not expect the Spirit of God to continue to work in them. And that is why they were in danger. It's a danger for a church to have the Holy Spirit depart. A church cannot survive without the Holy Spirit in them. So you have real Christians here that were running the race and they've stumbled to such a degree that Paul's like, I got to send a letter. I got to frame where the law is really supposed to be. I got to frame what these Judaizers are doing. I got to let them know I've dealt with these people before. I understand where you're coming from, but that's no excuse for falling. And I've even, I've opposed others that have fallen. And, and he's, he's, he's like, all right, I, I got to send this to them because they're in danger. So with that in mind, with, with a little bit of foundation in in what's really going on let's read galatians this is how they received it this is 
what was given to the Galatian church to help correct them and encourage them. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from, the God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I had before I was born, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles, except James the Lord's brother's. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judah that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Then, after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of revelation, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running, or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, 
I opposed him to his face. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Greek, or live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force these Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life now live, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, nobody annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, 
but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that you, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom again I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from Hagar, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who are of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time the one who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, you are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have his own have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is how the Galatian church received that letter. It came through courier, whatever it was at the time. They were told, we have a letter from Paul. I imagine many were excited because, oh, Paul, yes, we remember Paul. We love Paul. The people that would have gouged out their own eyes for Paul were excited to hear what Paul had to say. And then they're left with this, this letter on, we got to do some stuff. This letter left the Galatians with a burden of action. As this letter left the Galatians knowing we have to do something. And that's the same burden that falls on every one of us when we read the Bible or hear the Word of God preached. When the Spirit of God uses the words taught, either through His own Word when it's being read, or a a message that you've heard, and the Spirit uses that to resonate something in your soul, I need to change that. Oh, that reminds me of a situation I need to address. That reminds me of a brother. That reminds me of something. The burden of action falls on us, just like it fell on the Galatian church. We're not the Galatian church. And even if a church in America had extremely similar circumstances, they still wouldn't be the Galatian church. But these are the types of things. This is the, the, the... formula that the Lord wanted preserved so that when it hit our ears and our minds, the Spirit would use that to prick our conscience and say, I need to take care of that situation. I need to, um, you know, if if like the Galatian church, you've let false teaching come in and you're like, I I, I really probably shouldn't be, shouldn't be like listening to that. Cut it out. Get get rid of it. If like the Galatian church, you know, you, you, you want to have the Spirit come and move miracles again? Ask for, for, for wisdom. What, what, is it that's, what is it in my life that's preventing the Lord from, from moving? You know, the, the Christian life is about struggle and success, but we're, we're promised to kind of make it to the end because he's the one that carries us, you know? And if you're in a church and you see 
a brother or a sister that's struggling and they're weak and they're maybe not kind of where they should be, like, like the words to the, these are words to the Galatian church, but they apply to us. You who are spiritual should seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So if the Holy Spirit has pricked your conscience or opened your eyes to a situation and he's given you enough wisdom and insight, his word gives you enough direction and his spirit dwelling in you can give you the wisdom to act in those situations. So let us use the call to action that the Galatian church received, the you know, different situations in Acts and Hebrews, whatever we read in our private study, and let us ask the spirit to prick our conscience on where we need to use this to act and to not be idle because the the letter to the Galatians it was assumed that it would produce movement in the church. And the Bible is full of areas that we can grow in and and levels of holiness that we can continue to strive for. So my prayer for this church and my own life is that when those situations come up, and I had one recently come up where the Lord brings something to your attention, and you can either act or not act, that the Lord gives us the the wisdom and the maturity to act. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, for what you've preserved, for what you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would act in such a way that seeks to bring you glory and make you holy among the people around us, Father. Amen.